We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Y'all know who I am. I'm Brian Driscoll, but some of you might not recognize that guy. That's Bill Bender, and if you don't know him, it means you have not watched the CFB Nation channel because that is not only the lead college football writer at Sporting News, Bill Bender, who uh, I have one of the very, very few people whose content I actually read and enjoy, <laughs> uh, but also he's a co-host of the CFB All-America show that he does with Bill Trochi, who is a, an editor at Sporting News and someone who has uh, worked at Rivals and other places. And so, Bill, I wanted to get you on today to talk a little Notre Dame football, a little top 25, man. So thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. I'm rocking my St. Catherine, yeah. green and yeah. gold, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a busy weekend with those kids this weekend. I tell you what, um, a lot of future, maybe a few couple future Golden Domers out there running seven on seven in lacrosse. And I'll tell you what, the, the third and fourth grade St. Catherine's girls lacrosse team is not to be trifled with. <laughs> they, they are so, very good, very well-run program over there. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Bill and I actually have probably lately more conversations about his lacrosse. He's a head coach of a lacrosse team than he than we do maybe about college football. So, well, I've been paying attention. I've I'm going to be honest with you, Brian. This spring, I've probably watched more game film of the Notre Dame lacrosse team to there learn some things. And you can learn from the Cavanaugh brothers for sure. That's right. And learn from their very good goalie. And they, I didn't hear any ACC chants at the. Uh, lacrosse tournament last week know, but man what a well-represented virginia notre dame duke um leaving the only big 10 team and you know i'm mr <laughs> big 10 homer uh penn state so uh good to see that lacrosse is coming to this part of the country we yes, very much enjoy it is and notre dame has been continuing to grow they've had some very good teams uh and obviously now are they are they still in the final four that they played virginia in the in the semis right that's they, they play this week so that's been their uh, achilles heel this year bill <laughs> Don't I've had to a, beat him so far. I have a full breakdown at Sporting yeah. News. I actually do a little yeah. 
college lacrosse writing now among the many things that I do. And today we had a Michael Jordan LeBron piece that people are totally agreeing with, as you can imagine. But <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> but um, in either no, direction, in either no, direction, the LeBron you, people are going to hate it. The Jordan people are going to hate it. It just is what it is. I think at Irish Breakdown, you could probably appreciate this, Brian. When you write something that makes both sides mad, you've probably done your job. Yep. I've found my sweet spot, no doubt. Well, Bill, we're bringing you on here today because I wanted to have a conversation with you about Notre Dame. And I, you know, look, we're going to spend all summer, we go live every single day. We're going to spend all summer breaking Notre Dame. People are going to absolutely know what my opinion of this football team is. I wanted to bring you on today for really two different reasons. The primary reason is because when I read your top 25 list, I was like, yep, we're going to have to have a, we're going to have to have a conversation about this. And, and, uh, but also, I also want to get your opinion on Notre Dame because I think it's very important for people to have a very good objective view of outsiders because on this show bill i've spent a lot of time just tearing apart just the ridiculousness of what is the espn rankings and pretty much everything that they do recruiting rankings are getting worse and worse and worse and uh and and then on three just has some bizarreness for example on three believes that iowa minnesota and missouri have more four-star player more four-star or better players on their roster than notre dame does okay so i had a little i haven't even haven't got into that one yet but you're a very objective person, and I wanted to give Notre Dame fans that there is hope that there are people out there that, that have an objective, honest view of Notre Dame, whether you agree with it or not. And that's why I wanted to bring Bill on. And, of course, you have plenty of Notre Dame fans around you. You know, obviously, uh, Jack Frencho is in the chat. He's talking. <laughs> obviously, you know, Billy is the best. He's absolutely right. Um, so you're not an anti-Notre Dame guy, and you kind of joke about your Big Ten homer thing. But uh, uh, you know, I think right. it's going to be a fun conversation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. No, yeah, and, and Jack's son is is one of my son's friends, and uh, they were on that seven on seven team this weekend. So I, I talk a lot of Ohio State, a lot of Michigan, and a lot of Notre Dame because that's what I've grown up around. And I, I you know what, Brian, I'm going to start with a question for you. I mean, obviously we have Notre Dame number ten in our top twenty five. 
where would you have them first of all? Like I would, I would like, what would your speculative ranking of Notre Dame be? So I have not done an official top 25 from the standpoint of breaking everybody down. However, of, of what I've looked at and what I've glanced, I kind of have a range bill of like eight to 11. Mm-hmm. I think you could make a case for them being as high as eight because there's some teams that I think have some greater questions even than Notre Dame has ahead of them. Uh, I'm not the believer in Joe Milton, for example, that some people believe that he is. But I also am not someone who's going to pound on the table and say, absolutely, they should be as high as eight because this is still a team that has to prove that they can beat the Marshalls and the Stanfords on a consistent basis. So, you know, I think we saw last year that Notre Dame can be competitive against the big three. We saw it. They were in each one of those games. The USC game was probably the least competitive of the three simply because Notre Dame would like make it a score and then USC would go back and put points on the board. Notre Dame would make it a score game. Then USC would go down and put points on the board. It never really felt like Notre Dame was going to win that one, but it was at least competitive. They had an elite against Ohio State for much of the game. They actually led more in that game than Ohio State did. And then, of course, they dominated Clemson. It's the, can Coach Freeman get this team to where okay, let's say they go on the road and beat Ohio State on the September 23rd. Can then they follow that up the next week and beat Duke? Right. And and that's a question mark that you have about you have to have about this football team until you see them do it. Now, the reason I have them, I would have them probably, you know, nine to ten. And I'm comfortable with the ten ranking is because I do think that some of the things that held that football team back have been rectified this season with with certain you know grad transfers, but also younger players stepping up uh, some coaching changes of have are, are going to result well actually i should say coaching changes because they might have happened anyway but some coaching changes are going to kind of build around some of the what we perceive to be the new strengths of the football team like the wide receiver right. position things along those lines so I, i'm comfortable anywhere eight to eleven what i've had an issue with bill is not so much where notre dame is placed but why some teams don't seem to be being held to the same standard that they're holding notre dame to that that's sort of the issue that i come down to with certain teams about it but I mean if, if you've got anywhere Notre Dame anywhere from 10 to 13 I'm probably not going to have a big issue with that especially for a preseason poll well yeah and I separated this top 25 and it's probably going to hold into August into I must look at it as like three tiers right the first tier would be that top four that is going to be across the board when you see bull projections it's going to be what Georgia Alabama Michigan in either order Ohio State and then there's that second four, LSU, USC, Penn State, Washington. I kind of call them the trendy picks. The mm-hmm. you know a lot of people have Washington going to the playoff because of Michael Penix, yeah, um, and they like their schedule. USC with Caleb Williams, Pac-12 has some good teams, and then Notre Dame falls into that next four. If we were doing a 12-team playoff, this sure. would be fantastic, by the way, where you have Florida State, Tennessee, Notre Dame, and then technically we have Oregon next, but I would probably take a leap because I do this with you every year and put Texas next. Um, Sure. So I think putting Notre Dame with Sam Hartman in between a Florida state team that there's a lot of hype around ton of hype around Mm -hmm. Jordan Travis. We both like Jordan Travis and a lot of hype around Tennessee because the big question mark is, can Joe Milton be Hendon hooker part two and keep that offense going without his top two weapons that he had to throw to without Hyatt and Tillman. Right. And without your left tackle and without, you know, a lot of things that went to the NFL. So I think Notre Dame falls in that number 10. And and when I break them down and you kind of touched on it, their schedule is what it is. But to me and Clemson, I know they beat them. They've got to do it again. But where is this program when they play Ohio State? And where is this program when they play USC? 
Right. And that's what's going to determine whether or not they deserve to be in that conversation. I mean, that's something I think all Notre Dame fans agree on. Like, this program is trending in the right direction. I think most of us believe that. But if you want to take that next step, it was the same complaint that you had with Brian Kelly, is can you win the big games? Clemson was a big game last year, but they're, they were not on the same level as Ohio State was last year. They're not on the same level that they were in 2019 and 2018 and even 2020, as we saw when Notre Dame got to play a, a, a depleted Clemson team. It took them two overtimes to beat them. When they played Clemson healthy a month later, they got manhandled. I mean, that's the thing is you have to start winning those big games when you need to be in there. So I actually have made the argument on this show bill that i actually believe notre dame has a top five roster but whether or not you have a top five roster does not mean you deserve to be ranked in the top 25 because rosters don't equal wins texas a&m did not have a five and seven roster last year but they were clearly a five and seven football team so that's why i'm comfortable with sort of that eight to eight to eleven is probably where i would where i would say is my sweet spot i think a the Washington one is interesting, and we we should actually do this on on either this show or the other show. We should have a preseason top twenty five discussion because that could be right. a, we could do a whole show on that. Because I would love to have a Penn State conversation because I'm still waiting on Penn State to actually beat someone good to earn this their uh, borderline top five team reputation, and that's well, kind of would be kind of my beef with with Penn State at this point. Well, in time. What I do with Notre Dame too, and it's part of it is where I live and where I'm situated in Central Ohio. Um, is I typically, my brain will compare Notre Dame to Ohio State, Michigan, and then Penn State. Those are the four major programs from basically across the Ohio River. So where are you at compared to Penn State? If roster-wise comparable, Penn State really likes their quarterback going into this year. They like the running backs. They're coming off a Rose Bowl victory. But to your point, you know, James Franklin, I point this out every day, 4-14 and against Ohio State and Michigan. If, if Notre Dame played Ohio State and Michigan every year for nine years, would they be 4-14? Four and 14? I mean, that's that's something to, uh, you know, consider. They, it, and it would look a lot like Penn State's record. Most of their wins would be against Michigan. Right. That's where most – I mean, Penn State's like, what, one in – what, one in eight. 16, That's right, it. is the only game that they, they won. And they've had a couple – and even the Michigan teams they beat, I think only one of those Michigan teams was any good. I mean, the other years like right. eight and five. It was, I think, one year they beat him. Was the same year that like Wisconsin right. beat them by twenty-one. You know, it wasn't. They weren't great Michigan teams. That's, Michigan's that's, roster is comparable to Notre Dame, though. I would yes. argue that as I'm well. I'm comfortable with Michigan being where they are because Michigan's getting the job now. Look, here's the thing about Michigan, for example. I would say Michigan hasn't beaten a whole lot of people yet, but they have the two wins over Ohio State. That and matters, and they're they're two and zero against Penn State. So we can argue that that you know people say, "Oh, Michigan's overrated." Okay, that's fine. You can say that, but the fact of the matter is, is they're beating the teams that Notre Dame can't say that they've beaten. So until Notre Dame wins those games, you can't say, "Hey, we deserve to be ranked ahead of ranked ahead of of Michigan." Penn State for me, I'm fine being ranked ahead of Notre Dame. It's with Penn State and LSU. It's the assumption that they are automatically in that top five conversation. It's really more of what my discussion is, and they're not. The assumption that LSU should be ranked ahead of Florida State is another one that I have a problem with um, because they both have bad losses. They both have very good wins last year, and Florida State won the head to head. Well, but, and Florida um, State brought in another receiver in Keon Coleman, and and they're they're like I was talking. Who's going to be the small receiver, by the way, right. of the two outside guys? The one that doesn't average the, the one that doesn't average twenty yards per catch. Um, right. 
the more I think about them and, and hindsight's always 2020 when you do sure. these lists is, and you and I were talking about it before we came on Jordan Travis is really good yep. and he's Heisman sleeper good. And to give him two receivers, a running game, a creative offensive coach, I mean, they're going to be very, very good this yeah. year. So I, I think they're a team I'm definitely got my eye on. And they're probably more worthy of that discussion about because of the ACC, too. Like, who are you right. picking to win the ACC, Clemson or Florida That's State? That's going to be a great con- – because I actually like the direction Clemson is going. I think that they've been fading back. I think the hire of Garrett Riley – I think Garrett Riley is, is getting a little bit too much – Oh, gee, mm-hmm. he's the, the best hire of the offseason. I'm not one of those people that believes that, but it was, it's kind of like Sam Hartman at quarterback. Even if you think Sam Hartman's just a solid co- college quarterback, you, you have to be able to admit it's still a significant upgrade over what they had. And that's right. kind of how I feel about Garrett Riley and, and Cade Klubnik together. Is I don't think Garrett Riley is Lincoln. He's got a lot to prove for that. I think he benefited from working for a great offensive mind in Sonny Dykes, which is a, a good thing. He's not going to just step in there and he's going to do for Clemson what Lincoln did for 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 um for Oklahoma because Lincoln to me was a little bit more established. He was his own OC at East Carolina and you know those type of things. But I do think it's going to be so much better than what it was under Brandon Streeter and Tony Elliott. And I think the quarterback situation is going to be a lot better as well. And you know, Clemson's a quarterback disaster away from being in the college football playoff last year. Right. You know, what I mean, if their quarterback doesn't just completely collapse against South Carolina in a game they had a, a two-touchdown lead. They're they're a playoff team again last year. Well, they should have – another hindsight 2020 is they should have just ruled with Club Nick after the Syracuse game. And I don't know if that makes Notre Dame different. It probably doesn't. But it might be enough to get by South Carolina, win the ACC championship, and slip into the college football playoff. So it is a very critical year for Clemson yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And, and I think at the very least they should have made the move after the Notre Dame game. After you caught that right. loss against Notre Dame and, and he threw how you know some bad picks and all that, I thought that was the time to to make that move. I mean, it's it's hard to bench a guy when you're winning. He's done it before. He did it with did it with Kelly Bryant and uh and Trevor Lawrence, but Cade Klubnik's not Trevor Lawrence. So no. I, I, I do get that. But this whole conversation, Bill, leads me back to why I have a lot of excitement about Notre Dame, and I want to kind of get your thoughts and we'll dive into the Notre Dame conversation now, is because even though we all view Jordan, I'm a I'm a believer, Bill, and people on this channel know this. When it comes to top 25s, I don't care if Georgia lost 22 starters from last year's team. You're the champ until somebody beats you. I'm a big believer in that, especially when you recruit the way that they do. We can have a conversation about are they going to be as good as they were the last two years. That's debatable. In some areas they will be, in some areas they won't be. I don't think Bama's a typical Bama team. I don't even think this Ohio State team is what they've been the last couple of years. They all have major question marks. Some will get answered. Some won't. That's just college football. The thing I am excited about with this season from a college football standpoint and from a Notre Dame standpoint is there are no no-brainer. There's a, there, the, the top four to me is a no-brainer. I'm comfortable with that. But what I would say is those teams are not no-brainers like nobody can touch them. I won't be shocked if Penn State wins the Big Ten this year. And I'm, and I'm not a Penn State guy. It's just – the gap is narrowing this year because of quarterback losses, heavy NFL departures, and all types of different things. And that's where I think a, a, a lot of excitement for Notre Dame is, is because no, how often is it that Notre Dame goes into a season where you're like, hey, we know we're going to be pretty good at quarterback when you're looking at it from a Notre Dame fan standpoint, and there's major question marks at Georgia, Bama, Ohio State at quarterback. 
Clemson at quarterback. And I think that's where it really begins with that's that. well with the top, the three that, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state. That's where I make jokes with my buddies all the time. I said, that's, I, I like wake me up when one of them loses, you know, wait, <laughs> Georgia's schedule is set up that they will be 10 and zero, and uh, Carson Beck should be able to settle in there as quarterback. So they're of those three, they probably have the least concern because of the roster he's bringing back. Alabama, and they don't need offense as much as the other teams no. do need offense to win. Correct. Ohio State's entire system is based on the quarterback getting the ball out to these talented receivers. Uh, Harrison, Igbuka, they've got a lot of frontline first-round talent, if you read mock drafts. Do they have the defense that there's something, and, and I talk about this all the time being around here, Michigan figured something out. You know, Michigan's figured them out a little bit, and that hasn't happened in 20 years where you go into that matchup thinking, who's a better coach right now? I don't think Michigan had had, had the advantage there since Carr and Cooper. That's going way back. Yeah. Um, so that's even 2011 when it was Hoke and Fickle. It's like, well, well, and you, you flip a coin on that one. Um, right. Now, it's now it's not a coin flip because no, what, what Luke's been able to it's accomplish. Um, but yeah, and, and then you, you get into the Alabama. It, it's so strange to like say this sentence out loud that the guy that didn't win the Notre Dame quarterback job might start for Alabama in week one with Notre Dame's former offensive coordinator. I'm sure you guys have gone down wormholes on Irish breakdown about that. <laughs> I'm sure maybe one or two, but um, they still have a ton of talent though. Right. And they still have Nick Saban and they still have a schedule set up where I'm like, is Alabama going to beat LSU at home? You know, I was not to right. keep reverting back to life, but I told my butt, my uh, kids at lacrosse one night, I was like, there's a reason why Alabama's only lost four home games since 2010, because it's, their approach, the way they play at home. And three of those four losses were to Heisman caliber quarterbacks in uh, Manziel and Cam, not Heisman caliber, that you guys wanted, Burrow. Mm-hmm. So they're still going to be a tough out. I, I think reports of Alabama's demise are pretty greatly exaggerated. So, Bill, you have no, you had Notre Dame in your number 13 spot in your postseason, immediate postseason top 25, the way too early top 25, which I think are fun, especially when you label it properly as it's a way too early top 25. You jumped them up to 10 post-spring. So let's just kind of first begin with a big picture view of where you see this Notre Dame program right now, even not so much the, the specifics of the 2023 team, which we'll get into, but first of all, what direction do you think Notre Dame is is trending? Because this can be debated, Bill. Because people can say, "Hey, look, they were a ten plus win team year after year after year." Freeman comes in; they're nine and four. You know, NIL means they can't do this, and transfer portal means they can't do that. All these other kind of things. What's your first of all big picture? You know, sky in the you know eye in the sky type of view of the Notre Dame program. Well, I mean, you know, you go back to last year; it was, they did the Lou Holtz thing where they let Ohio State beat them twice. And that was a, a tough hole to dig. And they almost let him beat him three times, which would have been a disaster. But uh, I thought Marcus did a nice job of recovering, keeping the momentum on the recruiting trail. Um, and, and then closing the season, I, I have mixed reaction about bowl games. But, I mean, that was a high-level game against an SEC team that is um, on the upward swing with Shane Beamer. So, so for them to beat Clemson, that was probably the – the most eye-opening win. But again, I evaluate this program on something I had to look up before I came on. I look at the Ohio State and USC games. So 
what that comes down to me is no turnovers in that game, those games. They didn't force a turnover. They got three sacks. There wasn't enough pressure in those games. So what are the the four- and five-star defensive guys? Is Marcus Freeman going to be a difference maker on that end in the long term? So, I mean, big picture, yeah, this, this program is a top-10 program. And Marcus Freeman, we're doing our coach rankings this week, by the way. He'll be in that 25 to 30 range for now. That, that's got to be challenging this year because there's been so much coaching turno- turnover the last three, four years. I mean, guys that were on that list for years are gone now. I mean, even a guy like Dan Mullen, who right. could debate where he was. Not that long ago, he was considered a top 10 coach, and now he's sitting in a TV studio, you know, breaking down games. There's been so much turnover. It's got to be interesting and in, in to, to kind of put those lists together. Where what? back in the day, you could just kind of, here's your top five, just roll that out, and then we'll figure out what, what's going on with everybody else. You know, get no Gary Patterson anymore. I mean, there's right. just been so much turnover last week. Well, and it's, I rank all 133. I have a spreadsheet. I have a system. My system kind of looks at their overall accomplishments, what they've done over three years, what they've done at their current school, and then a little like kind of just you and I were sitting at the bar and, I'm taking this guy over this guy, and here's why. And, you know, like I said, Marcus will probably end up in that 25 to 30 range, which considering first year is probably about right. Sure. And yeah. and then if you do it over the next couple of years, it's the hardest part about doing that, honestly, is where do you put Pat Fitzgerald versus sure. where do you put a guy like P.J. Fleck who wins nine games at Minnesota, and you kind of look at it and you're like, some it's ugly actually- nine wins. It's ugly, yeah, but he's still winning at a right. place that I don't think of Minnesota as a nine to ten kind of win program. But you know, to to answer Notre Dame, yeah, I mean they they come into this season with top ten expectations. They they could get into the playoff. That's the best case scenario. They've got three huge red letter, you know, circle red marker games where you circle the game, and um, it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun finding out. I, I, I'm really selfishly because again of my background looking forward to the big game against Ohio State Notre Dame not as much talk around Ohio about that one yet as there was last year because I think it had been so long but the comeback game ought to be pretty fun let me ask you this question Bill what what did you did did the the way that Notre Dame bounced back from what to me was one of the worst losses they've had in a long time I mean like people will say the Marshall loss was not worse than Stanford. Well, they're a group of five team. Yeah, they were a nine, 10 win team, caliber team at that group of five. They're a good football team and they've got guys transferring from big time schools. And now they've got guys going to big time schools. Uh, some of the, the legit NFL players in the secondary last year, not excusable to lose to Marshall. Don't get me wrong. Stanford was terrible. They hadn't beaten a power five or a, an FBS team in over a calendar year when they beat Notre Dame. Their only win up to that point in time of the season was over Colgate. That was an inexcusable win, and the kind of win that can completely destroy a, a coach before it even he even gets started, in my opinion. Right. What did you learn about this football team and about Marcus Freeman, if anything? A little bit of a leading question from the way that they responded from that, with winning five of six, and then with the one loss being a loss to to USC, who finished the year in the top ten. Yeah, I, it could have been a total disaster, but I mean, Drew Pine, the work that they did there, and his accuracy then they got going and they found an identity running the football which was remember one game you know how in this business I, I I joke a lot there's there's moments in a season where I like to joke because I'm wrong enough that like when I'm really right about something I'm really excited about it I knew they were going to hammer Syracuse 
Mm-hmm. I knew that game. I was like, I, they're going to run it down their throat. They're going to win that game by a lot. And I don't think Syracuse has it. And that one I was right about. And I thought the USC game might have been a little more competitive. Could have been. But that's where this game is because when you have a guy like Caleb Williams out there, he can do things that make a difference. And that's kind of leads into this season, Brian, where if you ask me what's the biggest reason you'd bump Notre Dame from 13 to 10, I think it's the Sam Hartman factor, you know, getting him in there and seeing what he can do having a, and I, you had the numbers on this better than me, but can he push the ball down the field with these receivers? How much does he change the the, uh, complexion of the Notre Dame offense? And you look what he did at Wake Forest the last couple of years and really look at that Clemson game from last year. uh, he, He could do that. I think that's the interesting thing when we look at this team, Bill, and we transition into focusing on the 23 team specifically is how how you view Notre Dame has to begin with the impact that you think they are going to have or not have with Sam Hartman. Because you, you can talk about Drew Pine being accurate, and, those, and he was. I mean, he had a very high quarterback rating. He had a high completion percentage, but he just made no big throws, really. And that was the that was the problem. And, you know, the Clemson game, for example, they, they beat Clemson 35-14 because of the run game and the defense and special teams all stepped up to make big plays, and they didn't have to rely on the quarterback to win. But when you're playing Ohio State, they didn't have a quarterback that can make the plays, and the offensive line wasn't there yet. Uh, but it really came down to when you played USC is USC's quarterback was doing Hercules stuff, doing Superman stuff to win that game, and Notre Dame didn't have the ability to do that. Is Sam Hartman, how do you view him? Do you view him as being a – because this is what I, what I, what I see when I, when I look at the national rankings or what I perceive people to be saying. is basically – the people that are very high on Sam Hartman will say, look what this guy did at Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest, he put these numbers up. At Wake Forest, he led them to 19 wins the last two years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The people that aren't high on Sam Hartman will say, well, it's because of the, the slow mesh option, which I think a lot of people have a very fundamental misunderstanding of what the slow mesh is and how it impacts the pass game, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Where do you fall in line in regard to, forget the quarterback rankings part of it, because if you're a top 10 quarterback, you're a good quarterback. We'll, we'll get into that later. How do you think that that move impacts this team when it comes to what the ceiling of what this team could be in 2023? And what do you think that ceiling is in 2023? Well, I, I think it makes them a playoff team. You know, it, it really, I mean, Ian Book did that. Ian Book did that with high level efficient play. And he doesn't, I don't, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but I'm not sure Ian Book pushed the ball down the field better than Sam Hartman. Not even close. His no. best year was 2019 with Cole Komet and uh, and Chase Claypool, and I and I think that year Ian threw the ball maybe about 60 times. I'm going to look it up. Right. Uh, he had d- deep throws, so that's throws of 20 or or more. He had 63 was the right. most he ever had. Sam Hartman's been over 90 each of the last two years. Right, and and if he's spinning it like that, and you know we all do our we all read Pro Football Focus a little bit differently. Uh, you know the way I look at it is. Kind of my just very elementary view of college football quarterback play. If I was doing a checklist of what I want, I want a completion percentage of of 65 or better. I want a guy that can push it down the field, not just in zero to 10 yard passes. And and as pro football focus told me this morning, I didn't realize this. uh, Sam Hartman, 30 touchdown passes of 10 yards or more, 16 of 20 yards or more. 
10 interceptions, which you can live with because when you push the ball down the field, a college quarterback will make more mistakes than the NFL guy, um, especially when you're playing for Wake Forest. And, um, you know, slow mesh or not, there are things in that that you would have to explain to me, honestly, like watching that. But in general, you know, the ability to do those things makes him – very enticing for Notre Dame when you look at the receiver talent that they have. You're going to have to tell me a little bit more about Jaden Greathouse and if he's going to be mm-hmm. on the field to be one of those guys. Um, so, yeah, the ceiling's playoff. The The floor is last year. Mm-hmm. Another 9-4, and 8-5 and five season where they lose to USC. Explain Clemson. why you think that's the floor again, because I agree with you. I mean, the floor – to me, it's because, well, you've got a sure. – fir- you, you kind of feel like Brian Kelly had a couple down years and he was able to get him back on track the next year. He's at least just proven that with Marcus Freeman. There's no track record of what are you going to do in year two? Is that the reason for your floor? Is basically the unknown of we're still learning a lot about Marcus Freeman or is, or is it the schedule? What are the reasons that you say the floor could be another repeat of a nine and four season? Which because, I don't, because of the I don't think will happen, but I don't think it's unreasonable to discuss. Well, the schedule. Like, okay, the floor is you lose to Ohio State again. You lose to USC again. You lose to Clemson again. And you find one of those games that happened last year that you're like, how did they lose that game? That's how. You, the, that you lose that and you end up eight and four, catch a bad bowl game beat you never know the bull game matchup who it could be typically with notre dame it's probably going to be an sec or big 10 school um well not a big 10 school they don't do that enough but you get what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um that that would be the the way to go to eight and five so that you know that's pretty much my floor ceiling for honestly michigan penn state it's never the Mm -hmm. it's not ohio state's floor ohio state's floor is 10 because of their schedule, because they don't lose at home, because they can have last year's game against Northwestern is a great example of that. That I think one subtle difference between Ohio State and Notre Dame right now, Ohio State played objectively terrible against Northwestern mm-hmm. in horrible wind and still won by what they won by, and their fans were all upset about it. And when you're to the point as a program, when you win by 20 or whatever and you're angry about it, then, then you know that. I, I call it spoiled, but in the end of the day, those are the college football playoff contenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then completion percentage, I like the point that you made because when you look at, for example, um, using pro football focus and you look at the, the for example, last year they had C.J. Stroud at 65%, 65.3% last year uh, throwing the ball or as far as overall completion percentage because they actually look at it, Bill, they actually do their own kind of, they take out like, throwaways and batted passes and things along those lines. They had Sam Hartman at 62.8% completion percentage, but it's that ability to throw the ball down the field. Cause if there is a criticism, in my opinion of the Ohio state offense, it's that they don't, to me with the talent they have, they don't push the ball down the field enough. That's one of the criticisms I have. And I think it hurt them against hurt, hurts them in some of the big games when maybe they need to do that and they haven't been doing it enough. But then you look at, at Sam Hartman and kind of what, what he did, and he's throwing the ball. See, we've got C.J. Stroud here. I got, so that's Sam Hartman. I'm just going to pull up the numbers just to, to kind of back up the conversation because I like using numbers, and, we're, and you've, we've already brought up pro football focus. So if you look at C.J. Stroud last year, for example, he attempted 61 deep balls, completed 31 of them. Just good. I mean, if you're completing 50% or better on deep balls, you're pretty good. That's yeah. something Trevor Lawrence never did. Uh, Sam Hartman <clears throat> last year completed 41 of 93 deep balls for 44.1 percent 
So obviously CJ Stroud is going to have a higher completion percentage and he did at 65.9 compared to 62.8 for Sam Hartman. Then you look at where are they in the medium? That's 10 intermediate medium area, which is 10 to 19 yards past line scrimmage and then uh, short zero to nine. And if you look at CJ Stroud, for example, his completion percentage 10 to 19 was 56.0. Sam Hartman's was 59.8. If you look at CJ Stroud zero to nine, it was 77.7 and, and, uh, uh, Sam Hartman was 77.3. So that's going to be the difference between your completion percentages. They're actually Sam Hartman is slightly ahead under 20 and CJ Stroud is ahead over 20, partly because a, he's stoned to the best receiving core in college football, but also <laughs> yeah. the volume of it, right? I right. mean, when you throw 30 more times down the field, you're going to naturally have a lower per- per- completion percentage. I yeah, don't think you're going to throw 90 plus times down the field this year, although I wouldn't have a problem with it. No, and, and the best see a lot more. The best of CJ Stroud was the Georgia game where yes. he was hammering it down the field to Harrison and Ibuka. And then for whatever reason, they didn't do it at the end of the game. But um, it, it that, well, well, the reason being Harrison was out. But yeah. And that's two different things. And obviously with Hartman, he was thrown to A.T. Perry, who was drafted. He, mm-hmm. I saw that in the comments. Who was he throwing? Consider who they were yeah. throwing to. A.T. Perry is probably their best receiver. But a in a in if you put A.T. Perry in Notre Dame, he's probably just the vertical guy, right? You know, not, maybe I, I'm a, a big A.T. Perry fan. I think right? the comment was more about uh, C.J. Stroud, who C.J. was throwing to. Well, he threw Meaning, to some good ones. Right. Yeah, so. Wake Forest, uh, I think, is a very underrated receiving core. Donovan Green, um, I the Banks kid was really good. Yep. Taylor Moran's a good player. I, But I think some of it, too, is, and this is the issue that I have with the ESPN ranking, and he was talking about how you know, he's not going to have good players in Notre Dame. And I was like, well, you, you don't know that. I mean, who they're throwing to matters. Go watch the Clemson game from this past year. Some right. of the throws that CJ that uh, Sam Hartman was making that throw were just unreal. I mean, he was just right. unconscious, that, unconscious that game. So I, I think that factors into it. But the fact that we're even having this conversation where we're even saying, well, Notre Dame's quarterback situation, how was it compared to Ohio State, to me is partly why I think there's a lot of excitement for Notre Dame because he's not competing against C.J. Stroud this year. He's no. not competing against Bryce no. Young this year. He's not competing against Stetson Bennett, who I'm, I I have very strong opinions of Stetson Bennett, but the fact is he ran that offense well, oh, he he, you know, he and did. he stepped up in, in big moments. You know, but he's not competing against a guy that's got two titles under his belt anymore. He's competing against guys that we don't know about. They are now where Notre Dame has been so many times in recent years with just uncertainty at the quarterback position. There's a level of Ohio State's going to be fine numbers-wise this year at quarterback. Whoever the quarterback is is going to put up numbers. He's going to have over 4,000 yards off passing most likely, at least 3,800, because I think Ohio State will and should run the ball a little bit more this year. Uh but it's kind of who they're competing with. And I think that's the interesting aspect to this that, that, that you're, that you're getting to and that we're having is like the quarterback thing should change things a little bit, but there's still a lot of unknowns around him that, whereas you look at Kyle McCord, for example, I don't know what Kyle McCord's going to be, but I know what Marvin Harrison's going to be. Right. I know what Emeka is going to be. I know what Kate Stover's going to be. And if, if the running backs are healthy, I know what they're going to be. And I think that's the that's the balance that you have to have here uh, when you're having if you're being objective when you're having a conversation about Notre Dame and could Notre Dame be a playoff team? Yes. Should we sit here and say right now, Bill, if you think that you need to put him in the top four of your rankings? No. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, not yet. No, <laughs> not, well, I mean, prove some things first. 10 and 2 is realistic. Mm-hmm. That's probably like, that means they lose to Ohio State. Which they have to go to me. They have to go out and prove they can beat Ohio State. That's mm-hmm. why. Well, I would ask. I mean, I, I can ask your comments section because I'm allowed. You can to do ask that. me or them whatever you I want. I can ask the here. comments We're, section. This is the fun so, thing about this. I'll ask We're you. A discussion. We're having I'll a ask you. I'll ask you, and then I'll ask them. Is like mm-hmm. I'm guessing that most Notre Dame fans, if you were given a choice this year, said you're going to beat Ohio State or USC. I think you're taking Ohio State. Most will. Yeah, we've actually had this conversation before. Right, because you, in, in in Ryan and I had this conversation on the show one time, and it comes down to this: Bill is we know they Notre Dame can beat USC. They've right. dominated that series the last ten years, and you know after this year, USC won't have Caleb Williams anymore. It's you have to, ha- and I don't think beating USC is the kind of statement win that that Notre Dame needs, in my opinion. The statement win is is not Clemson anymore either, because it's only a statement when if with Clemson, if you'd have beat them with Trevor or Deshaun, right. which they, they, they were close doing twice, somewhat close. The, the first time it was close for a little bit. The second time it was close for a little bit. The first time they have a chance to tie the game up with two right. seconds left on the clock. So, but you didn't get those done. You have to go show that you can beat that, that elite team that's perceived as elite. And the last time Notre Dame has done that, honestly, it's 2012 mm-hmm. uh, when they beat Stanford, when Stanford was, that team i mean they were a team that you looked at and said boy this is a dominant program i mean and that's what stanford was back then they haven't won a game like that in a long time and you could say clemson in 2020 but again i point to you have to be intellectually honest and say do they win that game and that they need a double overtime to win if they have trevor lawrence and mike jones and tyler davis and james skalski i don't know i don't th- you know who knows we don't know but evidence would show that they wouldn't have because they had a chance to beat them with those guys and they couldn't get it done. The the two biggest chances for a seismic overreaction in September. That's one. Mm-hmm. If Notre Dame beats Ohio state, it, it will ripple all across, not just the Midwest, but across the country because the panic on Ryan day would be off the oh, charts yeah. because of what happened with Michigan. And there's a little bit of, Urban won the big game. He hasn't won it yet. Because Urban was, for all the things Urban Meyer was and is, um, he's money in big games. Yeah. I mean, seven he was in Ohio State and Florida what Lou Holtz was at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, he Lou was... Holtz would go lose to an unranked Stanford team, but then beat Penn State on the road or beat Miami, beat Michigan, beat Florida State or whatever. I mean, it just absolutely yeah. how it was. And the other is 
week two, if Texas beats Alabama, I'm just going to be on a 24 hour shift that day, probably <laughs> because it's going to be Saban's done. Sark should coach no. Alabama. Texas is back. Quinn Ewers no. for Heisman, everything that could come. And now I'm going to be honest with you. It could happen. Yes. It could. Oh, it, it, it could. could. I don't know that it will, but it could. Can I throw another one in there? I know sure. it happened a year ago, but I don't think a lot of people remember it because we live in this very much this society of um, uh, September doesn't matter by November, which I despise. But because it was Brian Kelly's first game and 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 they beat Bam and all, I don't think enough credit was put on that win that Florida State had over LSU last year. Right. I think there's still some people that like Florida State, but it's but there's. Th- the perception, because perception matters in these conversations, Bill, right. right? The perception of LSU last year was not what it is now. It was they have to overhaul the roster. They only have 30 players coming back. We don't know how good they're going to be. Bama's still the best team in the West. Well, they went and won the SEC West last year. They beat Bama. So now I think that a win over over that could not only validate Florida State, but I think it could also you have to start having a different conversation about the ACC now. It's not just Clemson and everybody else now. It's now Clemson and Florida State. Now that may not end up proving to be true as the se- by the season's end, but I do think that's an overreaction that I think we'll have in September as well. I'm gonna throw well, that Florida, as the third. That's game. a good one because it's the best Week One matchup, and I remember watching last year's matchup, and the last eight to nine minutes of game time was absolute. <laughs> I call it I, when I text buddies and. You know, I'll say this game is nonsense right now. And, and it was absolute nonsense what was going on all the way down to the finish. Um, you know, so that was – that's another good one because of the Florida State hype we've talked about because of LSU and BK. And there there are some analysts that are going to peg LSU to win the SEC West here in about a month when we do mm-hmm. all the media days. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see that. I And in order, I would say Texas winning would be one, Notre Dame two, and then Florida State three, because I, I mean, again, this Notre Dame, Ohio State dynamic. And, and we didn't, I, I wanted to ask you this too, because we talk so much about Hartman. Would you take Hartman over JJ McCarthy? Oh, yeah. For Notre Dame system, yes. For, For what Mich- Notre Dame needs. Yeah. Because it's about what you need. It's like right. if I'm Michigan, maybe not, because I don't know that Michigan wants to run the offense that would maximize Sam Hartman's skill set. And that, I mean, it's like, I, I make a joke where, you know, people, when, when I do recruiting rankings, I factor in where a guy's committed to people. So why do you do that? I said, well, how would you have felt about Jimmy Clausen as a prospect if he committed, if he would have committed to Navy? Right. That's fair. And Michigan, yeah. I think they still, there's this like push and pull of when you look at Michigan's roster, do they have the best backfield in the country? Yes. With oh. McCarthy slash Donovan Edwards slash Blake Corum, if Blake Corum's healthy. Yeah. That's better than what everybody else has. But the catch is, who are their receivers? That's the one thing. Exactly. It's mystifying to me that Michigan has gone since 2005. They haven't had a first-round receiver. It was Braylon. And Braylon was amazing at Michigan. And that that was part of that tradition that they had. And you can make the same case with Notre Dame. I mean, who's the last just unbelievable receiver they've had? Will Um, Fuller. Well, Chase Claypool in 2019. That was pretty good. Yeah, and they've had uh, tight ends. Will Fuller had back-to-back dominant years. Michael Floyd had two uh, had a hundred catches in 2011, but it hasn't been consistent because you go from Michael Floyd in 11, and then it's like 
12, it's Tavares Daniels. 13, it's Tavares or it's TJ yeah. Jones. 14, it's then Will Fuller breaks out, right? And then after him, it's like, okay, Miles was good, but not elite. You had the one year Chase Claypool. Then after that, your best receivers like Javon McKinley. Then it's Kevin Austin. Then, I mean, so it's been inconsistent. Where Michigan back in the day, to your point, I mean, they were. It, it was year after year. Okay, Ty Streets leaves, and the next guy steps right. in, and he and he does what he needs. To I do. think their last one thousand yard receiver is Jeremy Gallon. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. just wild to me. So that's the weakness there. They they do third tight ends. They do develop tight ends well. But when it came to it, when they played TCU, TCU had the dudes on the perimeter. They had Darius Davis and Quentin mm-hmm. Johnston, and they had a little more speed that than Michigan. That was very eye opening in some ways. Um, so and here's and here's the thing to answer your question, Bill, because that's kind of my my thing with Michigan though is uh, they needed JJ McCarthy to go out there and win them that game because right. they didn't have Blake against TCU. They didn't have Blake Corum. They ripped off that fifty yard run at the beginning of the game and then really couldn't run the football after that. Their one hundred eighty six yards rushing is very misleading. There was two long scrambles on pass plays by JJ McCarthy in that early fifty yard run. Other than that, they couldn't run the football on TCU. They needed JJ McCarthy to put that team on his shoulders, and he made some big plays, but he also made two huge mistakes huge, and ended huge up mistake. costing yep. that game. Now, in fairness, it was his first year as a starter. It was the first time they had really put that kind of pressure on him to go win them a game, which they hadn't really needed to do. They didn't need to. They didn't need him to win the Ohio State game. It's like, hey, when we have this tight end running wide open down the field, don't miss, right? You know, and 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 that's not to take away from him, but you know, that's kind of when we get into the quarterback rankings. But I think that's something that it just depends on the team that you're trying to 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 win with. If I'm Ohio State, who would I rather have, JJ McCarthy or Sam Hartman? It's easily Sam Hartman. On most teams, my answer would be Sam Hartman. Right. On Notre Dame is Sam Hartman. On on Michigan, I really feel like you need a quarterback that complements the running game and has to be able to do that not just with his arm but also with his legs. And and I think JJ has tools that complement that well. Big arm and he can run. And I think those are the things that you need to complement him. You just need to like you said, you need to get him a little bit better right perimeter weapons and and that's why they're going to need like a guy like Darius Clemens to break out this year is a, a guy that I liked a lot coming out of high school that I think could be that kind of that kind of guy for Michigan Let, let's talk let's finish up wrap up the Notre Dame conversation here Bill before we get into the top 25 quarterbacks what is it that you like we talked about Hartman but what when you look at this Notre Dame team you say if Notre Dame does reach its potential which you said is the potential of because 11 and 1 this year has a pretty good shot at getting Notre Dame into the playoff which Notre Dame has already smashed the myth of they have to go undefeated to be in the playoff. That that's just not a thing because they've already done that. Eleven and right. one minimum has a chance to get in the playoff if you got to beat the right teams. That eleven and one has to include a win over Ohio State, right? Right. So let's say eleven and one gets them into the playoff. What will be the things that you look at of this team right now that you say I like this? Uh, it has either I like it now or it has potential. But if they're going to reach that, this group outside of Sam Hartman is going to be the reason why. What are the things you like about this team in that regard? Uh, running game and big games, being able to pound the rock in a big game and run the football when you need to not run in the, like I said, I knew they were going to run over Syracuse. Can they run the ball against Ohio state? You know, can uh, estimate be that guy that, that gets that going? I mean, obviously you can average six yards of carry for a season, but those are the games that, that you look at. I mean, big offensive line, Obviously, Alt, huge prospect. Yeah, we had him on our top 50 big board. And then I mentioned, you know, who are the difference makers on the defensive side of the ball when you lose Foskey? I do like when your best returners are linebackers. I'm a fan of that. Like, and they do have that, right, with uh, Kaiser and Bertrand. Um, 
But in those big games, who's disrupting things? Who's going to be the guy that met, you know, quote unquote, mess things up for the other team? And um, Morrison in the secondary is nice. I don't want to not mention him, but that's where the game is, you know? So I I like those things about the defense. I still think, you know, you you need that one or two guys, especially in the running game. Who steps up a receiver? I I still need you to tell me about Great House if he's going to work in. Coolsy, I like. 20 yards a catch. I always like guys that – I mean, lead you right in the next question. My next question was going to be, Bill, what are the what are the concerns? So if they don't reach their potential, what would be the reasons why? And it sounds like you're starting to say that already is, yeah, yeah. you can talk all you want about potential, but an expression that I use all the time here, potential doesn't win you football games. Production does. Right. And, and which, potential which, doesn't equal production. Which receiver steps up? Right. You know, when they played Ohio State last year and had bullseye seat for that game, Styles made the play right off the go you know, off a missed tackle and had the big pass play. And after that, they really didn't threaten Ohio State too much. And some of that was quarterback. Some of that was receiver. Some of that was was, was O-line. Some of it was Ohio State did a pretty good job on Mayer. They, I mean, all things considered, they they did okay on him. So um, that, and then being able to run the ball in that game makes a difference. So, I, I do judge a lot of Notre Dame off of Ohio State. I make no secret about that. But when I was watching that game, I was thinking, halftime, this is a game. But a couple things that Ohio State did to close it, I guess the other thing would be they ran like an entire quarter of that game off with their running game. And that's why we run, it's it's such cliche old school football. But in the big games, I tend to favor the team that, that can run the ball when they have to. Not run the ball – to pad their statistics against like a max school. Well, I mean, that's what the difference ultimately was, in my opinion, of the Ohio State Georgia game. When Ohio State needed a yard, a tough yard, they couldn't get it. When Michigan needed a tough yard, they couldn't get it. When I mean, how many times in Michigan to get stopped in third and fourth down early in the game when they had a chance to really run TCU off the field? Right. They couldn't get those tough yards. TCU got those. TCU was the better running team that day, and that they won the game. I mean, TCU ran all over Michigan that game with their backup running back primarily. That's not a tor- typical Michigan defense defensive ex- experience, but it, like you said, when they when they won, when they needed to, they were able to get the tough yards. I still think football is very much about that. You don't even have to run for 250 yards, but when it's third and one, and you've yep. got a game winning drive, and you have to throw the football, your odds of success are going to be less than when you when the when you can than when you can run when they the other team fears you can run the football because. Even then, if they're not afraid of you running the football, the threat of running the football, then your pass game is not going to be as effective because they're going to be prepared to play that more. I think those things still factor into it. So I, you know, I, I agree with you uh, on on a lot of that, Bill. I think that it's going to be about the production. What I'm going to say to you is, uh, if you want to know who that's going to be, number one, Jaden Greathouse. I'll answer your question. Jaden is a guy that will have a chance to play this year. I think him and Chris Tyree are going to end up getting a lot more time in the slot than maybe Notre Dame fans think that they will because I think Jaden Thomas is going to play all over. I think Jaden Thomas is going to be that Swiss Army knife for Notre Dame. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be their most dependable pass catcher this year. You're going to see him get a lot of the the routes that Michael Mayer got as a slot and an outside guy, not as a tight end. But Mayer did a right. lot as an as a basically the boundary receiver. He did a lot as a slot guy. You're going to see Jane Thomas get a lot of that type of stuff. But the name that keep an eye on, there's two two words for you, Tobias Merriweather. Mm-hmm. So I think those are going to be guys. That's going to be a guy that, that Notre Dame is expecting to really be that breakout deep threat. Only caught one pass last year, went for a 41-yard touchdown. 
And then uh, when they started working in the rotation, he got a concussion and it kept him out. But he's the guy that was their best receiver this spring. He was my highest ranked Notre Dame receiver commit since Michael Floyd back in 08. Good. And that's how highly I thought of him coming out of Seattle. So I'm very, very high on him. He's got a, he's got a lot to prove. But as we've seen in Notre Dame, Bill, a, guy, a, a sophomore going from not much production to a lot of production is, is not abnormal. I mean, Equinemia St. Brown went from one catch in, in eight, for eight yards in 2015 to I think it was like 59 for over nine, almost 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns in 2016. Will Fuller and Golden Tate both had only six catches as freshmen. Then as sophomores, they both went over 1,000 yards, 10-plus touchdowns. So we've seen it before. Can Tobias be that kind of guy? We'll find out. I don't know if he's going to put up that kind of numbers because I think they're going to spread the ball around a lot more. One thing about Sam Hartman that you saw from his numbers is he spreads the ball around a lot. I mean, he's going to throw the ball to a lot of different guys. And so I think you're going to see that. Uh, see that. And then, of course, Chris Tyree is going to be a key as well. They've got to find a way to get to Chris Tyree the football in ways that his game is suited for. And that's right. something I thought last year's staff didn't do nearly as good of a job, enough, good enough of a job with, was you've got this kid who's really fast. He's not a shake-and-bait guy. He's not a A-gap duo runner, which is what they tried to use him to do. He's a get-the-ball-in-space, get-him-a-crease, and let him go. Right. If they can get him involved in the pass game with the big receivers they have, I think that's where you start to see Notre Dame really have some, some productive weapons because they're going to get production from the tight end, right? I mean, right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not going to be Michael Mayer, but they're going to get production from the tight end position. It's can the outside guys step up and and make the plays and force teams to defend them. And, and there's just going to be a lot of things that, that are going to go into that. But I, I think the and, and here's a, here's where I'm coming from, Bill, where my optimism is such. And again, this is as someone who watches Notre Dame more than anybody, more than anybody else, meaning more than I watch anybody else. Not that I watch more of Notre Dame than anybody else watches right. Notre Dame. I mean, I watch them more. You watch more Notre Dame, Dame than anybody yes. on the planet. Just say it. <laughs> than I watch any other teams is what I'm saying. Right. If you watch the All-22, like we said this all year, Braden Lindsay should have been a 1,000-yard receiver last year. I mean, he was getting open against Ohio State. He was going – I mean, he was getting open against everybody. He just didn't have a quarterback to throw him the football. I mean, he should have had a 75-yard touchdown right before halftime against Marshall. He's eight yards past the defense, and Tyler Buckner just missed him. Right. And then you go into the bowl game, and, and I was like, wait, where's this Braden Lindsey been? Like, Braden Lindsey's been there all year. The quarterbacks didn't throw him the football. If you go back and watch the film last year, the All-22, you'll see the Notre Dame receivers getting open a lot in the second half of the year. The ball just never came, partly because it was going to Michael Mayer, which you understand. And then the other part was you had a quarterback that just was unwilling to throw the ball down the field. And so I think, I think that's one of the, the reasons for optimism that Notre Dame fans have that I think a lot of outsiders don't. And so I think your questions about the receiver position are very fair, Bill, because that's what you saw last year. You saw a team that beat Clemson 35-14 and threw for 86 yards. Right. You, know, you saw a team that put up a lot of yards against USC throwing a football, but when they needed big plays and they needed to, to, to put drives together, they couldn't do it. They had turnovers. And I think that's going to be couldn't when they need Ohio State said you're not running on us if you're going to right. have to be, you're going to beat us you're going to be still on the football and Notre Dame said okay sorry we can't do that I mean that's really what it boils down to they had two right. big plays Matt Salerno had the one catch and Braden Lindsay had a nice diving catch and or three and then the 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 Braden Lindsay or I mean the uh, Lorenzo Styles big play but two three big plays aren't going to win you a game you have to be able to make plays consistently move the chains and do those type of things and they they couldn't do it. And that's what they have to prove because I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, Bill, that they've got all the potential in the world of receiver, and they do. Right. As I said, potential doesn't win you football games. Production does. And potential doesn't always equal production. And so I think those are fair things to, to have questions about. 
much happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com